This is a podcast of the Church of Indian Lake. God, you do this. Maybe it's an unexpected check that comes in the mail or an unexpected raise. Maybe it's a relationship, a relational connection that happens. Maybe it's just uh, something that is unexpected, but you know that you could not produce this circumstance by yourself. You know that there had to be a power outside of yourself, and that is the power of God, that has come to the situation and can only be Him. Well, in the back of your bulletin, there's an outline for us to follow today's teaching, and that's what today's teaching is about. It's called that divine intervention is normal. Divine intervention. That's what I want to discuss with you. And, and what is intervention? Intervention is just things, and you see the definition on your outline, it's just when God comes and steps in a situation in a way that points to God. It's a very broad definition. But intervention is when God steps in a situation in a way that points to God. And a lot of times that's our perspective. The world likes to call this coincidence. And they just think that coincidence or luck happens to certain people. Beatner once said that coincidence is God's way of remaining anonymous. Well, I don't completely agree with that because I don't think God wants to remain anonymous. I think God wants his name to be known and proclaimed. But I do know this is that uh, those who don't follow the Spirit don't often recognize that God is intervening and stepping in. And instead, they just think, well, luck's happened or coincidence has happened. But today, I want this message to change your perspective. I want you to see that the God we've worshipped this morning, the God we proclaim, cares about your life, and he's always stepping in. And I want you to see that there's situations and all types of circumstances that we can just say, only God. Only God can do this. Only God can step in. Only God can make a way. He's the only one that gets praise. Now, when I think about the book of Acts, as we've uh, journeyed through Acts these last few weeks, uh, there are all types of stories. All, you know, just numerous examples of divine intervention. Think of a very dramatic time when Paul and Silas were in jail and an earthquake came. And it freed them from their chains and it freed them from their cell. I mean, that's intervention right there when God sends an earthquake. And throughout Acts, there's a lot of examples of that. But we're going to look today in Acts 18 at some ways God intervened in a story that, that sometimes we might read through really quickly and we might not pause and let it sink into our lives. The reason that I, I believe the Lord wants us to use this story today is I want you to realize that intervention happens in your life all the time. And divine intervention is not always dramatic, though sometimes it is. Divine intervention happens in thousands of little ways that a sensitive heart to the Spirit can see. As I was thinking of this, I remembered uh, when I was a child, probably eight or nine years old, uh, our family being in Texas, we had not uh, begun to travel very much and had not traveled often, uh, but we needed to take a trip to California because my mom needed to see a relative out there. So my mom and her sister and me and my brother, who were young, uh, went on this long trip from Dallas uh, to Los Angeles. And we went on this trip, and for us, it was in the middle of summer. I mean, this was a very daring trip. And the problem about this trip is we had a car that had absolutely no business being on the road. 
It was a 1979 Plymouth Valori station wagon. Uh, the color is in dispute. It was either a rust or a puke, whichever you wanted to interpret. Uh, but, it, but it just was not, uh, it was not really roadworthy at all. But there was a cause. We needed to go uh, to California. And so we went on this trip. And uh, it was a trip that was identified by a series of breakdowns. And the first breakdown happened in El Paso, Texas. And the car broke down. And these two ladies, my mom and aunt, didn't really know what to do. But it just so happened that my dad had a cousin who owned a car dealership in El Paso. And we stayed at their home. They fixed the car. It was a delightful experience. It was just uh, a divine breakdown. I mean, God had the car break down at just the right time. Uh, as the trip went on, another time the lights on the vehicle went out right as dusk was happening, and we were at the exit right before we went from the desert to the mountains of California. We were at the exit where a mechanic was, had not left uh, for work yet, and he was able to fix whatever the problem was. But I guess the, the, the most... Um, Difficult part of the trip for my mom would have been when we were in Los Angeles. We were on a huge freeway, one of the main freeways. I'm guessing, you know, maybe eight to ten lanes of freeway, and the car broke down again. And it was scary. I mean, back in those days, we thought, California people are scary. (laughs) Now, since that time, uh, and and having been able to travel a little bit, some of the nicest people I've ever met are from California. Uh, But when you grow up in the South, you have this perception the California people are weird and all this and so we thought we were in like this dangerous land called Los Angeles and we had broken down on the side of the highway and we were going to get attacked and so there was there was a lot of fear my my mom broke down and she was really scared and uh, all of a sudden a car pulls behind us and a man jumps out and in the mid 80s he was your stereotypical what you imagine a California guy he had wild hair he had a Hawaiian shirt, and he didn't bother to button the top four buttons, you know, so a big hairy chest, and uh, he came to the car. But there was one thing that was different about him. He had this gold chain around his neck with a huge cross. And for whatever reason, that gold cross was a source of comfort to my mom. This man was so kind, uh, so, uh, so nice to us. He fixed the car on the spot. To this day, my mom... Uh, thinks that was an angel, and it very well could have been. But whether it was an angel or not, it was divine intervention. Because let's say if that man wasn't an angel, God had him on the freeway at just the right time, at just the right location to pull over because he had just the right demeanor and just the right skills to be a comfort to a scared lady and to a broken down car. Now, wisdom says don't take a car that's not road worthy on a trip that uh, like that again. But intervention happened. Intervention happens even when we don't use the best wisdom because God cares for us. Now let's go to the passage today because I want you to see uh, some, some truths from this passage and, and we're going to list four ways God intervened in this passage. And this is not an exhaustive list because there are lots of ways God can intervene into your life. But I believe that the Lord wants to show you four things today. So... Now, if you remember, we talked about the city of Corinth back in the summer, and Paul had left Athens and had not had success there, but God sent him to the city of Corinth in Achaia, which is now modern-day Greece. And we pick up that story here, and we see how God brought him success through intervention, starting with verse 7 of Acts 18. Then Paul left the synagogue 
And he went next door to the house of Titius Justice, a worshiper of God. Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord. And many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid, uh, excuse me, do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one's going to attack and harm you, because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. With Gallio, excuse me, while Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews of Corinth made a united attack on Paul and brought him to the place, brought him into court or the place of judgment. This man they charged is persuading the people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. Let's stay there for a second. What law is he talking about? Here's the situation in that day. That under the Roman emperor, uh, religious practice had to be approved by him. And so Judaism, or serving the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, was approved. It was okay to be Jewish. Therefore, in all the cities around the emperor, empire, excuse me, there were, uh, there were synagogues where Jewish people could worship. But the Jewish people said, if you follow Jesus and Messiah... You're not part of us. That was their perspective. But to the Romans, they said, if you follow Jesus, that's just a sect of Judaism. And so this was the issue. He was appealing to the Roman law. They were saying, they were saying those who follow Jesus are practicing a different religion. So moving on to verse 14. Just as Paul was about to speak, Gallio said to them, if you Jews were making a complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime... It would be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it involves questions about words and names and your own law, settle the matters, matter yourselves. I will not be a judge of such things. Verse 16. So he had them ejected from court. Now, one of the great temptations I have when I preach is to use illustrations about football because I like football. It's been a big part of my life. So I try to limit this to two or three illustrations a year, but I have a good one today. So we're going to talk some football. I'm coaching nine and 10-year-olds right now, which I know that Mike Munchak is a great coach for the Tennessee Titans and Derek Dooley for the Tennessee Vols and James Franklin for Vanderbilt. Those guys do not have a hard job compared to coaching nine and 10-year-olds football. These guys, listen, they run around pre-practice and they are fast and agile as they're just playing chase or little games. You put them on the field, they don't move a step because they don't know what to do. We're in the seventh game and we finally know the difference between offense and defense. This is a coaching miracle, okay? So it's, it's, been, it's been very challenging. So, so one of the things that, that I teach the guys... Uh, and this applies not just to Little League, it applies all the way into the NFL, that your ability to succeed on each play is greatly determined by your pre-snap positioning. So, for example, uh, if the offense has three, three uh, wide receivers to the right, so the defense is on the left, and they yell, trips left, trips left, here's something very logical. There are three receivers that way. So we need three guys covering them. That's really hard concept for people to get. If we're not positioned correctly before the snap, they're going to have more receivers than we have defenders. So it's a pre-snap situation. Our linemen, 
Now, our linemen don't move, move around a whole lot, but you've seen this, especially if you've watched uh, junior high football and below, that the offensive linemen get in their three-point stance and they get lazy. And before you know it, their butts are in the air, their heads are down. They, just, they, they have the ugliest stance ever. And when they're not in the right position, before the snap, we can tell before the snap whether they're going to succeed or not. I mean, you can just tell. You can see. Because if they're not low enough, they're not going to have enough leverage. Pre, pre-snap position, before the quarterback says down, set, hut. When everyone's in the right situation, we have a much higher probability of success. Your positioning is everything. And that's how it is as we go back to the scripture and to God's intervention. One of the things we overlook is how God is intervening and getting involved in our lives by how he positions us. I want you to write down this word. First word we're going to look at today is the word location. And if you want to put positioning, that, that would apply also. In our spiritual disciplines... One, one thing that we overlook, the activity of God in our lives, we overlook that God has positioned us in certain locations, and that is part of his intervention. There is a reason why you're alive in this 21st century that we live in. There's a reason why you live in America. There's a reason why you live in Tennessee. There's a reason why you're in North Nashville. God has positioned you, and part of the reason... Part of the way that he's intervening in your life is putting you at the right position to advance his kingdom, to advance his purpose, to advance his call. We see this clearly as we go back to verse 7. It says, Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Justice. Justice was a Roman. They had about three or four names. I'm going to pick the name that I can pronounce the easiest. We'll just go with Justice. He went next door to the house of Justice a worshiper of God. So we know that Justice was a Roman. He was not a Jew, but he was a worshiper of God, a worshiper of Yahweh. Uh, He was sympathetic to the message of God's covenant people. And it just so happened that he lived next door to the synagogue. Now, I don't know the whole story behind this. I don't know how first century Greek real estate worked. Did... The house come first, and then the synagogue. The synagogue come first, and then the house. I've been to ancient cities, and uh, they're, they're more similar in their design than you would think. More similar to Hendersonville or Gallatin or White House than, than you would imagine. But I'll, I don't know what came first. Did the synagogue come first, or did Justice House come first? I don't know that answer, but I do know this. is There's a sovereign God who needed for Justice to have a house right next to to the synagogue. And that sovereign God worked on Justice's heart and made him a worshiper of Yahweh, a worshiper of the Jewish God, positioned him in the right place because God was intervening through location. Paul needed a home to go to. Paul needed a home to teach out of. And Justice, because he had an open heart to God, he was positioned for divine intervention. See how divine intervention works? God had assigned Paul a home. And so divine intervention it has two edges to it, two edges to the sword. It's about God providing for Paul, but it's also about God using justice. It's both. It's about God stepping in this situation. And sometimes he steps in for your sake, but sometimes he steps in for you to be a blessing 
or to be part of the intervention for someone else's sake. But he's into your location. He's into geography. That's that phrase I like to say. God is into geography. And uh, Pastor Ronnie Meek, one of our overseers, I told him that the other day. And he said, yeah, he made the world. Of course he's into geography. That sounds like something he would say. He doesn't. And, uh, you know, he's a little sarcastic guy. But, but God is into geography. He, he made the world. And, and he determined the times. We, we found that in Acts 17. He determined the times and places men were to live so that they may seek him. I want to tell you something. God is into your location He's put you at the right place at the right time right now. Now, we have lots of different experiences here. Some of you are native to Sumner County, and you've lived here most of your life, and maybe you'll live here the rest of your life. Most of you have transferred here from out of state. You've come from somewhere else, and maybe that's, that's the case for me. And if you're like me, I think it would be great if I could spend several decades here. That would be my heart's desire because I really like it here. Others of you, maybe you've been transferred here or you're passing through, and this is a two-year window, a four-year window, whatever the case is, and maybe you have a preference. Maybe you miss living out west. Maybe you like it up north with colder winters. Maybe there's just characteristics about this area you don't prefer and characteristics about other areas that you do. But that doesn't change the fact that God has you where you need to be right now. Okay? Just because you prefer somewhere else doesn't mean that that's God's will for you right now. God has you where you're supposed to be right now because he's working in you right now. And part of divine intervention is trusting that God has positioned you just as he positioned uh, justice to have a home next to the synagogue. So he's positioned you to be at the right place right now. He is intervening in your location. So don't get uh, obsessed with where you've been and don't, don't long to be somewhere else. Instead, live in the moment. Live in the now and trust that God is at work right now where you're at. And he will do that. He will do something great. Here's the second word I want you to write down. It's the word people. And in fact, if you want to write it down this way, key people. Because God intervenes through key people. One of the youth ministries that I was part of, we had just a handful of students that was, that, that was from a high school about 25 miles away. And... It was probably too far. Our, our youth ministry was too far for, to make sense for people from this high school to attend. So we didn't really target it. But one Wednesday, there, there came, came a young man to, to the youth ministry who really connected with what we did. He really enjoyed our services. He really enjoyed our ministry. And the next week, he brought three people with him. And the next, next week... If I remember correctly, 10 or 12 were there. And in a short amount of time, we had dozens of students from our high school 25 miles away coming to our youth ministry, but it started with one key person. It started with a key person. Part of God's plan for that high school and that plan for that youth ministry was his divine intervention through one person. Now, let's look at verse, verse 10, I believe. Excuse me, verse 8, I'm sorry. And we're going to see a key person... In this scripture, named Crispus, what a cool name, Crispus. Everyone's always trying to think of a different name, you know, to name their kid. I don't know anyone named Crispus. So all you young mothers or aspiring mothers, look it up. Okay, Crispus, the synagogue leader, the synagogue ruler. That's pretty significant there. 
and his entire household believed in the Lord. And many of the Corinthians who heard him, being Paul, believed and were baptized. Now, if you remember that Paul went to Justice's house, which was divinely located next to the synagogue, and he taught there because God was into location and he had intervened through the location, but now God's intervening through key people. And not just a leader, but the synagogue leader. This was a Jewish person, the one who was supposed to be in the community, the expert about all things spiritual. He was supposed to be the expert of all things that, that pertain to faith. And he and his family followed Jesus. And so it was that he, the entire household, and many of the Corinthians were saved and baptized because God moved through a key person. It left them without excuse. And I, I want you to know today, I, I, want you to, I want you to hear this from God's heart. There are key people God wants to bring to your life to, to advance your, his cause in your life. You know, I can think in my life, and I can probably list a group of men on one hand that just opened doors for me, that they paved a path for me, and their influence and their leadership created things for me. Doesn't mean those men were perfect, and doesn't mean that I owe them everything. I owe God everything. It means that God moves through relationships. And God uses relationships to advance his kingdom. And he uses connections to advance his kingdom. And he uses people to advance his kingdom. And so you have in your life a Crispus, a person who God's going to use to advance your cause. And you will be that person to someone else. He works through relationships. Part of God's intervention is he's going to bring key people to your life. If you follow the Spirit, if you're in prayer, if you're humbled, I believe God can bring somebody into your life that's going to help the dream he put in your heart come to pass. I believe also that one of the things God is doing in you right now is he's building the character within you and he's depositing his wisdom within you because you are going to open doors the relationship for other people isn't god wonderful see it's not about paul it's not about christmas it's not about justice it's about the sovereign lord who's watching over all of this he's putting the pieces together he's causing the puzzle to come together because he's awesome he's incredible and god cared about the city of corinth he cared about the people there and so in his intervention he prepared location and he prepared key people to advance his kingdom now, a couple months ago, uh, we had a group of guys in this church who went uh, whitewater. They went rafting. Um, what do you call it? Whitewater rafting? Is that right? Thank you. Okay. Overthought that one big time. <laughs> so who went to that trip? Anybody in here went to that trip? Okay. We had a bunch of guys in the first service. Uh, you guys picked the wrong weekend for me to go because I was dutifully getting ready for one Sunday, so I didn't get to go. But I have gone whitewater rafting probably half a dozen times. And so one of the things I remember from that is the first time you go, they have to scare you. And you sign all types of waivers because there is legitimate risk there. And they say, you know, you could die. You could die on this. It doesn't happen often, but you could die. 
And, and so you start off with, with the trip, and everything is very tranquil and nice, and you're kind of floating with your friends, and there's mountains here, and you're like, this is a breeze. I mean, this is no big deal. And then you begin to hear something. You begin to hear water. And all of a sudden, the demeanor of the guide changes. He kind of gets more serious. He's not joking around. And, and as we're getting closer, you get the speech from the guide. And the guide says, all right, everyone, we're coming to a very tough part. And eventually, usually how it works, there's, there's several of them. There's one particular part that's always the most dangerous. So let's pretend we're at that part now. And he says, we're coming to the most dangerous part. All right? His demeanor changes. All of a sudden, things change in the boat. People get more serious. People position themselves. But there's simultaneously, as the guide is warning us that we're about to encounter the most dangerous part of the trip, at the same time, he reassures. And he says, this is the most dangerous part of the trip. Position yourself. Take it seriously. Let's get ready. But I'm going to get you through. And I know where to go. And I've done this many, many times before. His voice, what he says, prepares us for what's going to happen. Here's another way God intervenes. Here's the third thing I want you to write down, God's voice. God's voice intervenes. And God's voice comes in many different forms. For me, most of the time, God's voice comes through my thoughts. I think a thought, and I just know, boy, that's from the Lord. But God's voice comes a lot of different ways. It comes through music. It comes through preaching. It comes... Primarily, probably through scripture reading, through journaling. Here we see it came through a vision. Verse 9 says, One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Now, the backdrop of this is Paul had come through some persecution. And Paul had come through some places where the gospel had not been accepted and he had been persecuted. So now God speaks and he says this. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. Is that not a good word? If you're, if you're in a new place? All right, let's, let's, look at that. let's look at verse 9 again. He says this for a reason. We'll just stay there for a second. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. If you go back and you look in the scripture, there's a lot of times that God says to men of God and women of God, do not be afraid. And there is a really, there's a really obvious reason why God tells men of God to do not fear. Or do not be afraid. It's because they're scared. God only says do not fear when we have an opportunity to have fear. And I want to tell you something. The emotion of fear is not wrong. Don't feel like something is wrong with you if you, from time to time, experience the emotion of fear. That is a human reaction. And it really causes us to trust the Lord. What you don't want to do is you don't want to dwell in fear. Because God wants to have faith in who he is, rise up within you. And so here it is that Paul, Paul in a new city, about to face an opposition, God says in a vision, the voice of God comes to him, and here's the key part, beforehand, just like, just like the river guide says before we get to the rapids, he didn't wait till we get to the rapids, hey, do not fear, guys, do not fear, we're going to get through this. No, before we get to the rapids, he said, don't. It's going to be okay. We, we've gone through this before. And here, that's exactly what the Spirit is saying to Paul. He's saying, don't be afraid. Keep on speaking. Don't be silent. Let's go to the next scripture, verse 10. 
for I am with you. Isn't that the, the hope we have? And no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. I am with you. No one's going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. Well, now let's, let's go down to verse 12 because here's the interesting thing after the Lord spoke that. It says, while Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, which is modern-day Greece, the Jews of Corinth made a united attack. That does not sound good, does it? I mean, attack is bad, but when you have a united attack, that just does not sound fun at all. Now, here's the interesting thing about that. Remember, remember what the Scripture said back in verse 10. Here's verse 10. Go back to verse 10 real quick. It says, for, I, for no one's going to attack and harm you. That was the word of the Lord. Now, look at verse 12, just two scriptures later, just as the story's unfolding here. When Galileo was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him into court. This is where the tension is between what God has told you and what the circumstances say. That's where the tension. Where, where you feel like God has told you something, but the outcomes not coming to pass like you imagine. In fact, it seems like everyone's attacking you. Well, who, who's this Gallio guy? He was an official, official governor, sub-governor of the Roman Empire. And he was there. He had authority over the Jewish people of Corinth. And God had put him in leadership at just the right time. In fact, there's historical evidence of when he came in and, and that kind of verifies the scripture. That's not important for our talk today. What you need to know this is that he came, Gallio, became a leader, a sub-leader in the Roman Empire at a particular time for a particular reason. So now let's read on to verse 13 and, and we'll see how the rest of the story unfolds. It says, This man they charge is persuading the people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. And I love verse 14. Just as Paul was about to speak, just as Paul was about to speak, Gallio said to them, if you Jews were making a complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it involves questions about words and names of your own law, settle that matter yourselves. I will not be a judge of such things. Now look at verse 16. So he had them ejected from court. You see what God did there? Is God brought somebody in a place of influence to speak on Paul's behalf? Here's the last thing, the last word I want you to write down. That's the word influence. Our influencers. I realize that this word is greatly connected to people. So whether it's a Crispus, whether it's a Galileo, I want to say Galileo, but Gallo, you got it. You have the Bible there. Um, they are different guys, by the way. But whether it's justice in his house, whether it's the Roman leader, whether it's Crispus, the synagogue leader, God is using people, God is using relationships, God is using connections, God is using influencers. But can I tell you, it's not them, it's God. The emphasis here is God. God's the one using them. God's the one positioning you. God is the one that is, is coming to your defense. You see, Paul was about to open his mouth. And as he opened his mouth, God raised up Another man, another leader who had more influence than Paul to speak on Paul's behalf. 
And he ended the situation there. That's the kind of God we serve. The God who keeps his promise. The God who says, if you're not going to be attacked, he'll come in, even if it's at the last moment, right before you open your mouth to defend yourself. God's bringing someone with influence that's going to speak for you and speak on your behalf. Can I tell you something? There's great hope this morning. There is something within you. Listen, there's something within you God has put. God has placed something within you. I'm not talking about things that can't, that come from your own imagination. I'm, I'm talking things birth of the Spirit. That the Lord wants you to influence others. The Lord wants to use your life. He, he wants you to be a vessel. God wants you to open doors for other people. But in order for that to happen, you won't open doors for other people until you begin to see His intervention in your life that He's opening doors for you. Listen, do not compare yourself any longer to others. Some of you have, have even said with your own mouth lately, boy, that person's so fortunate or they're so lucky or they have so many advantages over me. The Lord wants you to stop doing that. Instead, he wants you to open your eyes, open your eyes to his intervention. He is working in your life. You're at the right place. You're at the right location. Wherever you're at, God is at work. Wherever you're at, he's at work. Listen, God is at work and he's placed you in the right place. It might not be where you prefer to be now, it might not be where you thought you would be, but he is working where you are right now. He is depositing wisdom in you. He's developing his character. There are connections. You're going to begin to start making connections. Some of the connections you're making now, you won't realize until 10, 20 years from now how significant those are. But our sovereign God is looking way down the road. He's looking way down the road, and he has all of these things in mind. He has all these. Let's pray. Come on, would you join me in prayer? Thank you, Lord. The Lord wants some of you to know this, that somebody, somebody that's key in your life is going to come, is going to open up new cells for you for the kingdom's sake. There's divine relationships that are coming for your children. God's even choosing the right teachers and coaches for your children. You know, that my sixth grade coach changed my life forever. He'll be here in two weeks. Changed my life, a divine coach, a divine, divine assignment from God. One of our children, God had a second grade teacher for one of my children that she changed the course of my son's life. That's divine intervention. God is bringing the right teachers to your children. I believe it, the right influencers. And now some of you, the Lord, Lord's saying this, some of you are that influencer. Some of you need to teach the children. We need second to third grade teachers, uh, first to third grade teachers in this church right now. God's going to use you to reach us some children. See, it's, it, you receive it. You receive his intervention, and then you're a vessel of his intervention. <laughs> you receive his guidance, and then you're a vessel of his guidance. That's how the Lord works. See, it's all about him. It's about his character. And the Lord's wanting you to open your eyes. The Lord's saying, open your eyes. Open your eyes how I'm at work. If you begin to open your eyes to how I'm at work, the scripture says we will enter his gates with thanksgiving. We will enter his courts with praise. As you begin to start thanking God for the divine intervention that's already come to your life, before you know it, the divine intervention will be uh, coming to your life. That which you have not been able to orchestrate, God will bring in. God will bring in like a flood. He said, surely goodness and mercy follows me all the days of my life because I dwell in the house of the Lord. And as you seek after Jesus, don't seek after promotion. Don't seek after an arrangement that natural man can do. Don't seek after 
your ministry or don't seek after your own promotion. You seek after the Lord and the Lord will bring that about. The Lord will come. The Lord's going to put you at the right place. He will exalt those who are humble. He will humble those who exalt himself. That if you humble yourself before the Lord and you get your heart right before the Lord, things that you cannot even imagine will come to your life because our God is a giver of all good things and no good thing will he withhold for him who walks uprightly. Get your heart right. Get your spirit right. Get your attitude right. Line up with the word of God. Develop the fruits of the Holy Spirit and all good things will come your way, says the Lord. I will bring about the very thing that you thought was over, the very thing you thought was at an end. God said, I will bring it back again because it's my grace working within you. It's my divine intervention. Thank you for listening to the podcast of the Church of Indian Lake.